This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, this is the Flowtrack Podcast, flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. I'm Kevin Selly, joined by Gordon Mack. We're going to talk Dwayne Solomon's retirement, the OTC-ATC duel. But let's open things up, Gordon, with the race that everybody's talking about, the one that you teased last week, the time trial featuring JoJo. Yeah, that was the race of the weekend. Uh, enough of this uh, two pros dueling it out on both coasts. No, it was all about what Jojo did on the local track here in Austin, Texas. Uh, well, so it started off. We were, our time was clock PM. However, what we didn't realize, I, I mean, we, we didn't know this was near this location, but there was a giant Juneteenth block party going on around, near the track. So when we okay. drove there, the entire road was blocked off. So we started freaking out because we were like, oh, we might not hit our start time. But luckily we did. JoJo hopped out of the car, did her warm-up, and I was able to eventually drive to the start line. We had two pacers, one being former Division One athlete, Texas Division One athlete Mark Pinalis, who's was actually pretty good in college. I think he was like a sub-14 guy in, in the 5K. Okay. Uh, so he was, he was a rabbit along with another guy, Jason Cassidy, to uh, – Local runners. Uh, the goal was sub Couldn't five. get Leo. Couldn't get Could Leo Manzano. Leo. Leo, Leo is mm-hmm. sipping on margaritas on in, on the beaches, just enjoying his retirement. Uh, the goal was <laughs> sub five. Uh, first first lap was they went out in 70, I guess, 72, 73. Like 73. So a little quick in the first lap. Then they were 229. I know. Fire the rabbits at that point. Come on, what are we doing here? 72? I think it was probably 73. 73. Okay. We'll give him 73. And then it was 229. And then we hit a we hit a wall there on that third lap. JoJo hit a wall. Uh but she rallied back in the fourth lap and ended up running 513. Now, when you want to run sub five, you want 13 seconds off. I think it was still very good because it was the first like good effort and mm-hmm. you know hey 513 age 30 hey you should take that and i think she's going yeah. to run sub five in the next second in the third or in the second or third attempt 
because she okay. just did hasn't rabbits... done enough mile work for this type of race. Did the rabbits stay on the whole time? Yeah, they stayed on the whole time. Yeah. Okay, good. Did anybody chide them afterwards for the 72 that you're now whitewashing and saying it was a 73? But we know with history that it was a 72 because that's the first number that you said. Um, it's – we take our – even if we didn't have speed, quote-unquote, when we were in high school and college, we take it for granted when we get older. You always yeah. think you're going to be able to crank out certain splits. And then I don't know – what age it happens, but it happens to everybody. And then all of a sudden, what used to be very, very easy becomes extremely hard. And uh, yeah. so I can, I, I can relate. I mean, 513 is still cruising uh, for sure, but it just ta it takes so long to get used to that pace again. You don't default into just like cruising around running like 73s again. It takes a while. Yeah. And her mile PR is 508. So she was five seconds off of that. And that's a PR. Oh, from, wow. That's amazing. Like, yeah from like freshman year of college, right? Or freshman year, yeah, yeah. senior year of high school, whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think the main, the, what we're going to do next is that we're going to start doing workouts. What we've been doing is we've been doing workouts at slower pace, but then doing mile pace 200s at the end of workouts. But now we need to start doing mile pace 400s, mile pace 600s to kind of go a little bit farther with that mm -hmm. hard effort to kind of, because I think it was after she hit 800, it was the first time she had kept that pace going. And then it was like, whoa, I never felt mm -hmm. this, you know. So we're excited for the next run. I don't know. I love we'll the we. It, Yeah, yeah. Love we, the we. 100% team. I'm the equipment the manager? manager. I'm the equipment manager. I'm not the coach, just the equipment manager. I hope uh, you become an agent. That way you can just appreciate everything that goes into that job. I hope one this day is that's what, where you end up. This is what we learned from the, the race is that GPS mm -hmm. miles are all bullshit because her GPS mile said she ran 458. And I'm sorry, Take it. but like, Take that, it. well, that's 15 seconds, 15 seconds off a mile. So everyone out there who is bragging about their 5K GPS time, it's not real. <laughs> it's just not real. These five, these 10K GPS times, they're not real. They're all fake times. You know? Did the, did, did, did the rabbits who did a horrible job, did they do their... Hit their watches. Yeah, no. The, everyone, everyone, all of them were wearing GPS watches, and they all said they ran sub five mile. But oh, I was wow. there standing with an actual phone clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cell phone clock, and we had we the old, measured the it old out, phone clock, the old phone clock, and they ran five thirteen. So this GPS system, which makes sense, doesn't know how to correctly know where you are for a mile. So hmm. we just need a. All GPS, all the because the thing is like these virtual miles, right? Or virtual five yeah, yeah. Ks during this pandemic. Everyone's posting all these times. It's all like performance enhanced, you know. It's all these GPS enhanced times. Or maybe, or maybe what happened? This race got tactical. She just ran way more than a mile. She was on the outside. She was moving around, so she actually covered one mile worth of distance in under five minutes. But because there was so much jostling the pack that she finished the race in 513 yeah that this, this three this three person race I, I doubt there was much jostling going on uh but yeah i think we need to was figure out how to she was on the rail she was on the rail there okay. was no rail so probably it's not it's not gonna get iwf certified and okay. also i think mixed gender pacers I'm, is probably gonna ruin the certification as well but you know 
I take all GPS time seriously, so congratulate here on sub five. It counts. If it counts for the five K, ten K marathon people, it counts for this. Well, here's here's the moral dilemma, right? She mm. using this time to like a virtual mile like race, like submit yeah. it to like so like what do you submit? Do you submit the time you know isn't real, but your computer GPS says that's the time? Or do you manually submit the real time? Like it's a moral dilemma because you know other competitors are just using their GPS time, you know. So you know that you're mm -hmm. you're going against a bunch of fake times. Do you like have a moral, you know, and go with the real time? It's like it's like Lance Armstrong, right? You know everyone no, else is doping. You could dope and then win, or you could not dope and get thirty fifth. It's a moral dilemma. Well, does she want to win or does she want to input the time that she covered four laps in? What's the what's the goal here? It's not her fault the GPS watch is apparently not accurate. But or like that if, she ran if a tactical time trial. It's not her fault. If there's twenty if there's fifty people submitting times and forty nine of those times are all fifteen seconds too fast, and you're the one person who decided to put it as the actual time, it doesn't feel Fair. Is right? there a chance you mismeasured? I know you said you had to measure the additional nine meters. Is there a chance you mismeasured? Because no. the track could be mis off by a meter or two, too. That's a you don't mismeasure right? 15 seconds. You don't mismeasure 15 seconds of a mile. That's well, like, no, but that in combination with the track being slightly longer, you could get you could get there. Yeah, it's, it's almost slightly that's like longer. It, you say it's like a 402-meter track? Well, no, I'm saying if you measured it incorrectly, plus the track was a little long, but I guess you'd have to get measure. what 80 meters or so long. 15 seconds yeah. is quite a bit. Yeah. If so. she's going through, well, if she's running, if she's running five minute pace. What's that? Eight by 18 seconds per hundred. So, yeah, right in about 75, 80 meters yeah. long. So. The watch, yeah. The watch failed. Do you want to name the brand of watch right now so people know not to ever trust it again, or do you want to wait? No, on that? it's. I mean, it's a it's a famous brand, so I, I, I we they might become a sponsor down the road, so we don't want to kind of Did throw it, them under the water. <laughs> question, question. Don't throw them under the water. Uh, did everybody have the same brand? Did the two rabbits also have the same brand? Yes. Okay. It's very popular. Because I was going to say, if they had different types maybe it's an issue with the satellites and that's who we got to take this up with but if you're saying it is a, it, i mean it doesn't matter what brand it was it could be a elon musk gps watch watch it's all going to be mm -hmm. wrong because gps is sending a signal every millisecond all the way up into the stars and back down and seeing the distance you traveled and yeah. when you're running in a circle it's not going to recognize that there's a plus minus error yeah yeah you yeah. know and yeah so right Okay, we just so need you're a, saying we need to like people. We just need to make sure that these this era of pandemic virtual races it has a has an asterisk because GPS five Ks and GPS ten Ks and GPS miles are not real. They're just not. Yeah, I did a science yeah. experiment. Well, on that note, I thought the OTC ATC duel. Did a pretty good job syncing up the start for their races. So you could actually tell who crossed the line first. There were a couple exceptions there where there might have been 
a bit of a delay. And it helped that several of the races weren't close at all. So you could clearly tell who won and who didn't win. But in terms of technology, I thought they navigated that part pretty well. There was some difficulty. Was it the, the relay at the end when Hayward for OTC took off? Like It looked like he started before the race started, but you don't, you don't know when the guy in Oregon yelled go, right? He could have yelled go and hit the watch, and there could have been a second or, or a second and a half delay before the Atlanta guy yelled it. But in terms of na navigating all that stuff, now here, here's the thing though. They weren't worried about GPS readings, Gordon. That was all just person v. person. So maybe that's the secret here. You just eliminate the the measurement entirely and just line people up and race. Well, here's the thing. I did not watch it. I watched a little bit of the replay. There was no clock, right? No. So what they did – you didn't watch it. Well, thank you for being prepared for the show. So what they did was after each race, they held up their stopwatch to yeah, the but like camera so you could see. And none of them were really that close, so it never was like, oh, that's a controversial time. It was the Chanel Price won by six or seven seconds, I think. So it wasn't the timing never factored in. I'll say that. Yeah, but also the the camera angle was just on them, so you couldn't really tell where they were on the track. True, and that is one of my critiques. I think they could have gone a little wider, so you knew because what happened in the men's twelve hundred. I know you already saw this, so I apologize for repeating, but I'll just do it for the people who didn't maybe watch. Abraham Alvarado versus Vincent Cietti, the race we've been watch, wanting to see. Tim Hutchings, who's doing commentary. By the way, Tim Hutchings, when OTC had two points and Atlanta Track Club had zero and Tim Hutchings got to say 2-0, he was probably so pumped as a British guy who's been calling track, but maybe deep down has always <laughs> wanted to do soccer, and he got to say 2-0. I thought that was interesting. Anyway, he's he's saying basically Alvarado's ahead, Alvarado's ahead, Alvarado's ahead, right? Then it gets down to the last 100. And I don't know what he's basing this on because we're looking at the same camera angle, right? Can you tell who's ahead? You can sometimes look at the, the markings on the track, but again, with the delay, you don't know. And when they go past, past pretty quick, it's hard, hard to tell. So then it's the last 50 meters and he's basically calling the thing for Alvarado and then Sieti crosses the line, clearly head of Alvarado. And the margin was not, it wasn't, a tenth of a second. It was several seconds difference. And it was like, whoops. So I think in that case, if they had a uh, a wider view, we could have had a better better perspective on who was actually winning because he was just essentially assuming Alvarado was ahead when he was not. Do you think there's a chance they fake live? Fake, did, did it fake live? It was pre-recorded, and then they pretended they were live on the track. Like, they actually did that track meet on a Friday afternoon or Friday mm. evening. And then, wait, they each did it separate and then just tried to sync it up? They recorded it, and then it's, they put put it in an edit player, and then Tim Hutchins called it on top of it, and then upload. I mean, no. It, I mean, I seem, feel like that would have been more complicated because then you got to export, right? got to drop it into Final Cut. <laughs> You got to do several timelines. You got to mess with export. the audio. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big file size, though, too. It's an hour long. I don't know. They had interviews and stuff, and were kicking it back and forth to people. They had pre-race and and post-race interviews. It's it looked live. It now 
the Impossible Games thing with Kenya, that definitely, in retrospect, or the villainy, that definitely looked tape delayed. With, when you go with the knowledge that it was tape delayed, right? Because you're like, and all of a sudden, here's the villainy. Play. And then he goes and vaults. Or here's the Kenyans. Play. This this looked a lot more, this looked a lot rough live. So it made me think, yeah, it made me think that it was live. But um, yeah, Nigel Amos, I don't know if you saw him. He went out in, gosh, how fast did he go? 46, 47 or something for the 400. He went, nobody, he thought it was a Diamond League. Nobody told Nigel Amos that this was just a dual meet at home. He like came to play and then he completely fell apart the final 200. Not, not unlike some of his Diamond League races and almost lost. Uh, his race that was probably the that was the closest one of all of them, and it involved the guy with the mo- or the athlete with the most credentials. But he was able to hold off. Was that Capwell or Avery Bartlett? I don't remember. One of them ran the relay, and one of them ran the the six hundred. Um, did you see OTC's jerseys though? That was the big takeaway for me. Yes, I liked them. They were like they're like. They kind of look like Bowerman last year, but green. Yes, but more swirly and less plasma. <laughs> I liked them. I liked them. I more thought they were swirly, good. Swirly, less plasma. Yeah, yeah. That's very. I'm good with words, Gordon. So I really think people can understand what I'm saying. People should look at the YouTube video and see. I, I thought they were pretty sharp. Biggest letdown of the meet, though. Women's twelve hundred. Because there's a scratch. You can't have a scratch in a virtual meet. You got to get somebody out there. It's hard Didn't enough. Did they have running. alternates? They said they had alternates, but Hannah, they lined them up, and Hannah Green was just standing there in her sweats. And poor Yolanda Garambe had to race by herself. That was the only win for Atlanta Track Club, though. So, so she runs it. She <laughs> ran 320. She went hard. <laughs> Look, I'm, I, was, I was seriously watching this meet, but I just thought it was a bummer that uh, OTC didn't have an alternate on deck. I guess in that, that's the argument for wanting three um, three athletes. Chanel Price looked looked pretty good. She, she was moving really well. And then the relay, I like the two-by-two-by-four. I think that's a fun relay. Again, hard to tell who's in front and who's behind, but the strategy there of how hard to go out is is interesting to me. I like that they did it. I like that a lot more than the mixed-gender four by four that they had at worlds. I know you're a big mixed gender four by four fan though. So I'm expecting you to push back on that. For those listening, I'm shaking my head. I'm not a big fan. S M H. Do you like the two by, do you like the two by two by four? as like, not as a world championship event, but as a relay me world relays type of thing. I do, but I would like it better if they just made it a two by two by four men's race and a two by two by four women's race. Not this mm. man and women thing. Like I would rather see like Donovan Brazier and Clayton Murphy as a team go up against, mm-hmm. you know, Nigel Amos and uh, Emmanuel Courier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that'd be cool. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, I just picked two random runners, but like. That would yeah. be more because then I don't know. That'll be that'll be. It's like basically watch. It's like turning a way to turn a workout into a race. That's what's yeah. yeah that's why I like it. it. Yeah, yeah. It's like turning a workout what if into you, a race. What if you had to in your two by two by four team? 
you had to to do one person whose results from the previous year came predominantly from the 800 and the other person on your team had to have results that predominantly came from the 400. Well, that 400 meter person is not going to like, it's not going to want to participate. Can well, that's you imagine Fred Curley doing this? He'll be like, come on. You're not. That's May what makes it fun. Maybe four yeah. hurdles. Maybe throw a hurdler in there. A little more endurance. More strength. Yeah. Well, well I, I'm not a 1500 meter runner. I don't need to see in there. Yeah, sure. I just, I, I thought it'd be just a fun experiment just to see how fast a 400 meter runner could do it. Yeah, I mean, it would also be funny to watch. Run a, it's going to be hard to watch them run, try to run slow because they're not going to know how right. to run like funny a 49, to, you know? Yeah, yeah. When's the last time Michael Norman's run a 49? Like, he just doesn't even know what that feels like. His body physically yeah. will not be able to go that slow, and it would be funny to watch him run it. That's that's why I think I, I like the. That, yeah. yeah. The, the, but I like the idea of making a men's squad. And a women's squad. It also balances out the rest because, as it stands right now, the women get much less rest than the men do because of the discrepancy in how fast they run the legs. Um, but when World Relays comes back, I, I hope they keep the two by two by four. And in the next edition of the OTC ATC Duel, I hope they keep the two by two by four. I think that's a must. The next um, edition. What's the over oh, under yeah. of there being a next edition? Zero point five. That's the over under. Are you taking the over or the under of there being another one? Um, taking the under. I would go under. I think we might see another dual meet though between clubs. I don't know if it would be these two clubs. I'm with. Was it you or Lincoln last week? Who said match race? You want to see like Bowerman versus Pete Julian's group? Like that's what we want to see. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Well, this also was like kind of camouflage into a like the it was like a all for charity type thing like it wasn't like an actual like competition per se mm -hmm. right no one was caring about winning or losing it wasn't like money uh, on the nigel, line or anything like that nigel amos cared nigel amos it might still be on the track there he <laughs> he went hard i i think it would be awesome to see bowerman and Julian's group, or just two groups where there's Bowerman and ADP. Yes, it would be awesome just to see an even matchup because a lot of these were one sided, and then they could take what they learned with the first one. You're right, go a little bit wider. Maybe I don't know. Maybe this is the time you bust out the drone. I know they did at BYU. Did you see this? You're you're big into following NCAA live streaming from drones is not that feasible as people think just putting yeah. that out there well so drones um, can only last for like 45 minutes let alone if they're live streaming it, it's even shorter so yeah but one there. race everyone thinks it's there one race uh but clayton not clayton young cool clayton young streamed it on his on on, on his instagram page but there was a time trial between connor mance and casey Klinger. Last week, they ran a mile against each other, and Jared Ward was was commentating, and they were trying to sync up that commentary with the the drone footage, which they just they couldn't put it on the same account, so they had it on two separate accounts. But Ward just had his phone basically, and and was commentating, filming it as per per usual. But 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think uh, you guys made fun of the electric cars. I got to see one of those cars. It was really small. It was kind of cool. But maybe they relied on the car too much because they were just like so close. They're like really tight in there. And you want to know where they're at on each yeah. lap, right? Yeah. All right. So big yeah. winners for me, though. Yeah, big winner. Nigel Amos gets that gets that uh that that work in. <laughs> uh, he's icing a lot today. Um, OTC jerseys. And big were loser. Great. Big loser was GPS companies and their accuracy. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, Dwayne Solomon officially retired. I want to talk about this a little bit. Did you were you paying attention to track when Dwayne Solomon was at his peak? I know you didn't yeah. start working for Flow Track until 14, which was a good year for Dwayne Solomon, but no, no championship there. Okay, well then tell me what are your what are your memories of of watching Dwayne Solomon compete? I mean, the biggest memory I have two main memories. One was he was in that the 800 that everyone the most famous 800 with David Rudisha, where he gets fourth uh, and runs 142. Um, and then the other memory I have is, I mean, it's just a famous quote when he says, I went to the, the twilight zone. Was that what the line is? <laughs> I went to the twilight zone where he, he goes out in 49 seconds and then just dies and, you know, finishes last. So it was like, I know that's not like a, a, mo a memorable like win or like great achievement moment, but it was very like, a, I remember that race more than I remember any of his other races. I remember that more than any of his wins. Uh, but mm -hmm. you kind of laid out his 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 arc from 2007 all the way to 2020, and he had a very good like bell curve type performance, right? He he had like his college years where he was you know doing well in the NCAA, making a couple teams. Then he had his peak years where it was probably you could argue was maybe 12, 13, 14 was like his peak, right. and then 15 down he kind of came down to the other side of kind of dealing with injuries uh, and um, missing finals and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. My, my, my most memorable moment is him in the Olympic final getting fourth. Uh, and also my most memorable quote is him talking about going to the twilight zone when he went mm -hmm. out too fast and just like blacked out. In 2015. And he was still in position to qualify inside the last hundred meters and then got passed and then stopped eventually across the the finish line we link his career a lot to nick simmons and it is interesting because 15 that was the last final for both of them and their first team they made together outdoor team in 2007 solomon was still in college simmons was coming off a big win at the prefontaine classic and they went two three at usa's and they both made the team. Now then Solomon doesn't make the team in 08, 09, or 11. Of course, Simmons makes all of those teams. And it's tough to compare somebody to Nick Simmons. Because you go back and you look at Simmons' career, the, he was so consistent. It's ridiculous how consistent Nick Simmons was year in and year out. Even when he didn't look like he was in full form, he would get it together for USAs and make a team. So then Solomon goes from all the way from 07 to 12, he makes another team. So he had a three, 
uh, a four season, but three championship trials year gap there. And then goes 12, 13, where he makes both of those teams. And then 14, he wins USA's, but obviously no global championship that year. So he made he made three teams. And if you asked me before looking, just on memory, without having thought about it, I would think he would have made more than three teams. But it, the teams he made, the performances were, especially, you know, especially 12 and 13, so memorable that they almost took a life of their own. Like getting fourth in the 2012 Olympic final, you should have gotten a medal for that. The race was that good. They should have given more medals than than just three. <laughs> and he runs his PR there. It's a little smaller. Yeah. He runs his PR there, 142.82, which to this day, only Johnny Gray and Donovan Brazier have run faster than. He was only two tenths off the American record. So that was an incredible race. Obviously, David Rabisha did did what he did. And Simmons or him and Simmons, Solomon and Simmons were fourth and fifth, but they they both ran just phenomenal races, which is that type of day where everybody was really good. And then in 13, he gets the win over Simmons, and that's his only win in a US outdoor championship over Simmons. And altogether, according to the stats I looked up, they raced 20 times in the 800. Solomon won four. Simmons ran 16. But in 2013, he goes 143.27. That's his second fastest time ever, which is quick. And then he wins Monaco before World Champs. And then I don't know if you – do you remember the 23 – or 2013 World Championship 800? Do you remember anything about that Simmons got second? No. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But guess guess who led from the gun to 705 meters? I'm guessing it's Dwayne Solomon. <laughs> it is. Good. And they go out in 50, 50 point something, right? So it wasn't one of those gray zone, twilight zone type races. It was under control. Simmons is actually chomping at the bit. And that was the fun thing between these two throughout their career was that Solomon had one style, go hard from the gun. Simmons had another one that was vastly different. He was a closer. But with 100 to go, USA is 1-2 in this thing. USA is 1-2. Simmons makes a move. Solomon falls back for a while. It looks like Simmons is going to win the gold. He gets passed, and then Solomon drifts back to six. But there's a scenario there, Gordon, where Solomon medals at the very least and perhaps gets gold there. He was really close in in 2013 yeah i mean like you said the dynamic of what simmons did as kind of he was like the sit and kicker whereas solomon mm-hmm. was kind of go the time trialer like go from the gun uh i like to looking at the now the new, the new era of 800 you kind of see a little bit of a similarity between what clayton murphy and donovan brazier are where donovan brazier is the man who's has the 400 meter speed he can go out in 49 seconds, 50 low, whereas Clayton's kind of sit back and try to rely on a late kick. Um, we're kind of just seeing Hopple. a new and and Bryce Hopple, I guess. No, but Clayton's been around a little bit longer. With well, I'm just uh, saying with the closing, the closing part of it, true, is yeah. uh, very hopeless, uh, yeah. But like, I kind of look at like they were the first to like kind of pave the era. I feel like Simmons and Salmon were like the they paved the era to what we now have as when we look at the 800, we look at it as a, an event we could get multiple medals in. Whereas mm-hmm. 
before Simmons and and Dwayne, it was kind of like, hey, maybe we'll make a final and get eighth place, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like they those two were kind of like the the torchbearers for what is now a dominant event for men's U.S. you know 800 meter mm-hmm. running, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, and I think Dwayne was the man who like says, "Hey, he showed that there's no fear in going out in 49 seconds, no fear in going out in 50." Uh, and I think, I mean. Literally, Donovan Brazier is just like a new new and improved Dwayne Solomon, right? He has like the same type of style of going out hard. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they literally, I mean, then, then Donovan breaks his time. Donovan breaks Johnny Gray's time. And yeah, it's kind of cool. You, I also, we kind of also kind of compared Dwayne to Johnny Gray in a little, in a little, in a, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, of course. We're, you know, and I remember interviewing Dwayne a lot of times he always was talking about potentially trying to break Johnny Gray's record and he would run like the try to break Johnny Gray's 600 meter record and there's just mm-hmm. always like that comparison I um, mean that's what happens when you run 142 you're going to get compared to Johnny Gray uh but throughout his career he always he's always thinking of, his goal was to break the American record uh mm-hmm. obviously it never happened due to injuries late in his career but he definitely was someone who kind of like I said paved the way for these younger talents to come in and not be scared of the Kenyan 800 meter runners and not be scared of fast races, you know, thinking that now 52 seconds, 51 seconds is slow. Like Mm -hmm. if you want a normal race, it's 50. If you want a fast race, it's 49, you know? So, yeah. And I think Dwayne kind of changed the perspective. Yeah. And Kadivas Robinson at the same time too, he was running, hard from the gun there as well. And it's almost like Solomon took that even a step further, like what we saw in 2015, 2014 was an interesting year though, because you brought up the American record chase. And that was the year in April at Mount Sac on a non-championship year, Solomon ran 143.88, And everyone thought, Whoa, if he's doing that now, what's he going to do late in the summer? That was also the year. I believe Nick Simmons, do you remember this? Like laid out all, it was a non-championship year. So he said, here are my goals for 2014. Since there's no global championship, I'm going to lay them out. And he had all of these goals written. And one of them, I believe was break the American record in the 800. And when Solomon ran that time in April, there was almost consensus in the track and field community that it was going to be a race that year to see who got it. It was either going to be Dwayne or it was going to be Nick because Nick was coming off a silver medal. Dwayne had a faster personal best and had beaten Simmons in 2013 at USA's. And it didn't, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And part of that was perhaps they didn't have a global championship that year. Simmons didn't, didn't race USA's that year. So Solomon was able to get the win. That was the year. Were you there in Sacramento? The pile-up year, yeah. like everybody fell in the 800. But Solomon was so far ahead, there was a fall in the race, and it didn't impact him at all. That's how you know you're a front runner. The entire race piled up, and it didn't impact Dwayne Solomon one iota. So I think you can play this game with a lot of careers, and you go back and you say, oh, that non-championship year would have been pivotal if they just had a championship that year. But 14 for the record and also in pursuit of a medal would have been, um, could have been a huge year 
for Solomon because then you go to 15 and he was injured and banged up. And then he goes into that final. Remember he told people before, I'm going to go out at world record pace. And then people thought, Hey, is he kidding? Or is he actually going to do this? And yeah, you're right. He went out 49 point again, was leading into the final hundred and then got caught by everybody. Um, We've talked before about that race though. Do you remember? We talked about the, the Nick Simmons butterfly effect from 2015 was it 2015 or is... yes we did 15. yeah so and and the way that one went was that simmons didn't end up competing remember he had the dispute with nike over what he had to wear when he got to the world championships right and then that so led... allowed for clayton murphy to get in right now i want i went back and i watched the post-race interview with Solomon in 2015. And I think Fenton asked him, somebody asked him in the mix zone, hey, do you think you would have been better off if you just ran for top three and weren't trying to win? And I wonder if his answer would have been even more different if he knew he just had to be top four. Right? Yeah. Because ultimately that's all he had to do. All he had to do was get in the top four because he was saying, hey, I'm low on fitness. This was my best way to win. That's just how I run, right? Like, this is how I run. And we hear people say that all the time, right? Like, you can't go into a trials race trying to get third. It just doesn't work that way. You have to just try to win. And if you still end up in the top three, okay, that's great. But he also was saying, I'm not in great shape now. If I can just qualify and get more training under my belt, I'll be ready to go by the world championships. And we all know how ridiculously tactical that 2015 championship ended up being. I mean, it ended up being a Rudisha win. So you could say, okay, yeah, no way. No, no way was anybody going to beat him. But Solomon could have at least meddled in that race in the same way I'll, I'll always make the argument that Simmons could have as well. Because all you needed was fourth. If he just holds back a little, go out in 50.5 instead of 49 high. Yeah. And I... You, you talk about the 15 year as the what if year, if you, you know, like you said, would have just searched for a top four finish. I think about the 2016 year that I think is super underrated hmm. as the what if year. I think Dwayne Solomon would have been a 2016 Olympian. Like, explain. And because he got eliminated in the first round and he got eliminated in the first round because of a brain fart. He literally was. He had like a 10 meter lead on everyone in the first round. Mm -hmm. And then he just like pulled up and like kind of like try to jog the final five meters. And mm -hmm. then just like three people just like nipped him at the line. And he was like, wait, what? Yeah. What just happened? I was yeah literally going to just like walk to the semifinals and he gets nipped. And uh, who was the person that was that nipped him? Let's see if we can find who that race hold on oh in that first round yeah i think it was yeah. charles jock well that would be interesting because charles jock ended up getting the final spot so yeah uh was it charles jock i'm, I'm looking it up right now I think it was let me go and look at this oh you're right <laughs> wow i never i never knew that 14871 yeah. they both ran 14871 they both ran, Jeez. and then it was on a lean, right? Yeah. No, I, I remember this. I just didn't remember that it was Jock who eventually ended up getting 
to the Olympics. I don't remember that. <laughs> right? Wow. It's, it's wild. Yeah. So I, I look Jeez. at that and I'm like, you know, he wasn't like, he was good. Like he was ready to roll and he just had a brain yeah. fart, gets out leaned by like a half a second. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, obviously that, that whole, that whole thing was very weird. And because like you had Donovan Brazier, the, the young phenom just having out a brain, like round. not being prepared for the first round. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look at that and it was kind of it was kind of weird how that happened too because uh I actually interviewed Dwayne in 2016 like a few months before that and he was talking about like he had been he's like a a a, a long a, he's been in USA championships for 10 years at that point, right? 2007 yeah, to 2016. Yeah. So, uh I was asking him like what's like the strategy for the first few rounds? of like how to how to get through three rounds at a usa's and he was talking Mm -hmm. about like how what he was what like how he knows how to do it like it's like running on the back it's like the back of your hand how to qualify how to get through rounds and he literally like did not he literally what he said in that interview was like yeah you want to take it easy but you also want to make sure you're controlled and you you can see people around you and he was like laying it out and then he literally yeah. just like didn't do what he normally does, and I I felt bad for him. I was like, oh my goodness, he he literally just said to me two months ago how to get through the first round in controlled fashion, mm-hmm. and then he just like you know had a brain fart, and you know, and then it's crazy. He that's probably when he was in his fittest because seventeen he got hurt, eighteen he's like dealing with injuries, nineteen still injuries, not now not in the same shape. It's been years since he was in his top yeah, shape. Yeah, that in was twenty fourteen. And then it was done. But yeah. like I I would say if he doesn't get that out lean by 0.001 seconds by Charles Jock, he would have made the Olympic team. Mm. They literally ran the same time in yeah. the first round. Yeah. It was always like you look at his career and it's it's got these, yes, he won US titles and, and he made teams, but then there's also 09 out in the first round, 2011 out in the first round 2016 out in the first round right it's just like and i don't know if some of that's the function of injuries and just not being able to be fully prepared or a lot of it is is weird stuff like that where oh my gosh this guy was ready to go he had run 145 entering the meet that's not certainly a guarantee that you're going to make an olympic team but it shows that he's fit and just the 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 tactics I think were always interesting because it always, a lot of times it felt like feast or famine. He's going to run a phenomenal race or there's going to be some craziness happening in the last hundred meters, which is why it was always entertaining to watch him race. I think the best, not, not his best races because not all, not, this isn't, uh, this is a blanket statement because 2013, he won from the gun, but a lot of times he ran really well when there was another front runner there, right? 2012, he had Radisha. 07, when he had made his first team, he had Kadivas Robinson and Jonathan Johnson, guys out there who were running like he was all the time. It helped to have another front runner out there. Obviously, he didn't need that in in 2013. 2012, he made the team with KD and and Simmons there, two contrasting, two contrasting runners. But it's tough to just go it alone from the front time and time again. And Simmons passes you and then you just wonder, okay, who else is coming? 
And sometimes it's not anybody. <laughs> sometimes it's not everybody, but then sometimes it's everybody. That's a, that's a difficult way to run. And he did it for years and years. If you're Dwayne Solomon, how do you like kind of, well, I think it's also kind of interesting. Like we talk about like his best of his career and we're talking about stuff that happened seven, eight, nine years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. That's like his peak is, you know, his last time running out of USA's was 2016. Right. Did he run or did yeah. he run in 2017? Yeah. So what is like the mental state of like an athlete like Dwayne Solomon who coming off of the trials, getting knocked out to have 17, 18, 19, and a, in a way 20, four years of really not having professional type races. Like you're, you're the hurt, you're running one or two local, like, mm -hmm. you know, domestic type meets, but you're not in the diamond league. You're not running in the semifinals of a USA championships. Uh, you're kind of just all there doing your own thing. What are those four years like for you? Right. If you know what you've been, you know, you've been in the 2012 yeah. Olympic final and getting fourth. And now you are running twice a year at, you know, local mile races, you know? Yeah. I think it's a constant struggle to find out why you're doing it and try to recapture what you had. We were talking about Ritz retiring not too long ago on this pod. Similar thing with him, similar situation with Webb, Jeremy Warner. You could go on and on, right? But at that point, he was north of 30. North of 30. And I think you have to take solace in the fact that when he was 27, in the prime of his career, ran the fastest race of his life in the greatest 800-meter race of all time on the biggest stage. And it didn't result in a medal or an American record. But I think wouldn't that give you some sort of comfort to know that you did everything in your career that at one of your peak opportunities – you got this great opportunity and you did the most with it that you could. And it just, just because sports are the way they are, it didn't result in a medal, but most people don't get that far even. Right. Yeah. More than most. <laughs> well, most, most pro, like most pro athletes, right? Like to run your PR in the biggest race of your career for a track athlete, you, you get some, you have to get some satisfaction from that. Now the cold competitive portion of your body th thinks, well, who cares about the time? The goal was to win or to get a medal. And I didn't, I didn't get it. But when you look back years down the line, you realize how historic that race was. And anybody who knows anything about track knows how big of a deal that race was. I think you pay more, way more attention to what you did before 30 than you did after 30, because it's not like he's, he had a short time when he was relevant. We're talking about 07 and you're, you're saying 16. That's a, that's a lot of years. That's a lot of years. And yeah. I think he even made, I mean, even in 20, I mean, 2006, he was running in, in us championships. Like when he was at USC, he was already a player. Yeah. He made a us final in 06. He was seventh. Uh, he went to USA's in 05. He made the semis at USA's in 05. So for over a decade, he was competing at US championships. So what more, what more can you do? And you had a few opportunities and 
they didn't go perfectly, but got a lot out of himself. Yeah. With the marathon, everybody's just... comp- well. With the mar- one last point, with the marathon, everybody's comparing themselves to to Meb or to Linden, right? And in the men's eight hundred, maybe people are comparing themselves to to KD, and they think everybody's going to be Kadivas Robinson and have this career that lasts forever. But that's not the that's not the rule. That's the exception. Yeah, well, it's just weird for some of these athletes to have this four years of not be harsh, but irrelevance, right? You, you were one of the best in the U.S. and one of the best in the world for such a long time. And then you have to go through this four years of like not even competing, but still being mm-hmm. calling yourself a professional athlete. It's like, like I wish I wish we could have had like this like celebration of Dwayne Solomon's career at the end of 2017 when we're like, all right, yeah. it's we're, we're, the, the writing's on the wall, but we have to wait till a pandemic in 2020 for us to recap how great of an athlete he was, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, cause normally, at- I mean, in other sports, like Kobe Bryant, like go, like people are recapping his, they're not waiting four years after he's retired or four years after not playing in a single basketball game to talk about his career to talking about it during his final season, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what is he now? He's 30. Dwayne Solomon's 35, 35. 30, 35. I, 30, I just looked this 30. up. K, yeah, KD retired, and his last race was in 2012 at the Olympics, and he was 36. So he retired at about the same time, but he retired with right after an Olympic appearance, and that was that was it for him. But I don't know. Like I don't blame anybody for just – hanging around and yeah. always they always think they can get it back. I remember having conversations with Jeremy Warner in the mix zone and I was like and this was after, you know, this was probably probably at a US indoors in 2010, 2011, something like that. Hey, do you think you still get back that form? Yeah, you can. That's what he kept saying. Like, yeah, I can still get it back. I can still get it back. Like my training's coming around. And I asked Otto Bolden, sprint analyst about this. I said, "What is it?" Why do, he's like every single athlete will tell you that literally every single one will tell you they're about to turn a corner because you don't get to that point without believing in yourself to that yeah. level. Even when all evidence points to the contrary, you just talk yourself into it. So I bet even last year, two years ago, you're thinking, okay, a couple things turn around. I can get it back. I mean, if you're always that great at something, I think you you always think I can I can recapture it, and I'm I'm immune a bit to uh, to old age. And I also think we are on the sidelines, being trying to be like the media and be like, nah, we we don't know what they're actually going through. Meanwhile, someone like Abdi Abdurrahman is like, yeah, I told you, I'll get it back. <laughs> yeah, and I'll yeah. make another yeah. team, you know, or someone like Bernard Lagat be like, yeah, I told you, I'll make the 2016 5K, and I yeah, not only I'll make the final and finish in the top eight, you know? So, well, these athletes I mean, think about, are great. So like they have that mentality, you know? So, well, they make you look like a fool on both ends because yeah, I didn't yeah. know what we were, we were saying there's no way Abdi can make it. Right. And then he goes and makes the Olympic team somehow, which is still just a weird statement to say. But then on the other hand, I remember going into 2017 and thinking, okay, Nick Simmons may, I'm not going to count out Nick Simmons. I'm just not going to. He's done it too many times before. I know he pulled out of the trials, but I'm not going to count him out. Even though, what did he, he had like one race? 
He had one race like one fifty five or something like that. One fifty three. Yeah, one forty nine. Here in one forty nine. Oh, one forty nine. Portland. In Portland, before USA's, and I, you could probably go back on the tape. I probably said it into some microphone where I'm like, not count him out. Nope. Done this too many times. He's going to go from 149 to 145 in a couple weeks. And like all indications were pointed the contrary. But I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just human nature. You think something's going to happen until, you know, it doesn't and, and, and vice versa. We've seen Abdi, Abdi's had bad races over the last couple of years. So you're just like, okay, well, that's, that's who he is now. And then boom, pops up and drops another one. But with Solomon, yeah, it's like, yeah. He probably is no, ending saying, like 2016, like, hey, I could have made the Olympics in 2016 if not for the fluke. Right. Like, he probably, of all people, knows like he was ready to make that team. And then he has a couple injuries. So he's probably thinking, all right, I'm going to go to 2020. And now, now that 2020 got pushed back another year, he's realizing, all right, yeah, that's, that's the writing on the wall, which I, yeah. makes more sense. I think if you told him at the beginning of his career, before he even ran in college, hey, you're going to, almost break the American record, you're going to get fourth in the Olympics, you're going to win national titles, I think you'd take that career. I think it just was made, it, it, it just, it it was complicated by the fact that you had the most consistent men's 800 meter runner probably ever in Nick Simmons with you and you had David Rodisha, the best 800 meter runner of all time at the same time you were competing. And call it bad luck if you want, or maybe, maybe those guys helped, you know, Solomon doesn't run as fast as he does without Rudisha in that, in that race. And maybe he, he even could have pulled them to a, a world record if things were slightly, or not a world record, a, an American record if things are slightly different, but um, yeah, you got it. You, you compete in the area you're in for, for better, for worse. I guess I want more retirements to happen at USA championships. Like, you go yeah. in and you get knocked down in the first round or in the second round or in the final, and then the mix on you're like, I'm done. Yeah. And then you have like well, that moment, like where as opposed to like it being retiring via like in the random a random time in a, in a random season. You know, you see a lot like, yeah. oh, did you hear this person retired? Like, oh, okay. All right, yeah, I did. Yeah. You know, you kind of want to give them that platform of being the way you have your last basketball game, right? And there's a whole press. Yeah to kind of congratulate you on your last basketball game. You kind of want that. This was your last race. Congrats. Wasn't Sonia Richards-Ross retired in at the 16 trials, right? She pulled up, she got hurt in that race, and then everyone gave her a standing ovation, and then that was it. I'm rem Yeah, I'm remembering that yeah, correctly. Probably. Yeah, Yeah, and that, that was the exact thing that you're talking about. She went out. She tried to give it one last shot. It's It was the the second biggest stage in the sport right after the Olympics and she couldn't do it. She had her moment um, and then got to um, like have, have the stage that she deserved. Right. And I think did Warner, I think it was the same. If I'm remembering this, right, these things happened fairly close together um, at those 16 trials. So no, he ran in 17. Wow. What am I remembering then? Because he DNF, yeah, he DNF'd the second round, but then he kept running. So he, this he is made what the they need to do. This is what they need to do. Yeah. They need to 
have like a secret code that they don't tell anyone. Just it's between USATF and elite athletes. There should be like a a a, qual- a qualifier where you had such a great career that your retirement is important, right? Someone like Leo, Leo Manzano's retirement is important. You know, Sean Richard yeah. Ross retirement important. Nick Simmons's retirement important. These people who were great for a long time and weren't just a flash in the pan, right? And you yeah. tell USATF decides every year whose retirements are important and they invite them to the USA Championships to compete in the first round of whatever their event is so they can have a final race and they come into the mix zone and then they're like, yeah, I'm retired. And you don't need to announce it. Like you can be like, yeah, we're, yeah, we accepted Leo Manzano's 401 mile. Mm-hmm. He's in. They're going to say why. They're just like, because we decided to deal with it. And then he comes in, he runs a race. He doesn't win, whatever. And then he comes in, he's like, yeah, I'm retired. And it just gives, it gives all these athletes, these premier athletes, a way to celebrate them in the final race. You know, it's one last time putting on the kit, one last time lacing up, one last time going mm-hmm. through the mix-up. I mean, because sometimes it, it works out where, like, you can make the trials and you're able to time it well. But a lot of times these athletes, like Dwayne Solomon, never got to have that, right? He never got to, right? you know, run a 150, get in. The, like Nick Simmons did it. Nick Simmons qualified without getting the time because he was a world champ, world medalist from 2013. Mm-hmm. He did a whole thing about that's how he was able to get into the meet. Uh, but we should find ways to get more of these career celebrated athletes into this meet that doesn't affect the rest of the field. Like we'd also don't want to screw up the lane assignments to, for this either. You know, you have to find ways to make sure celebrating, Mm -hmm. you know, the 35 year old doesn't screw up the 25 year olds chance at making a team, make sure we do that. But I think there's a way to do this more often. Right. I like, didn't they like you've had, yeah, I was gonna say, you've had a lot of bad ideas in the history of this podcast. And it's only a couple months old. So I feel obligated when you have a good idea to recognize it. And this is a legitimate good idea. This is a good idea. Yeah. Give closure. Give closure. I like it. It's just, an, yeah. You're just like, hey, you get to run. I don't know. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. And I'm like, not, who, like, who do, who do we want to, let's start, let's already start giving out. Who's, uh, <laughs> Who are our retirement slots we're giving to the 2021 Olympics people? Yeah, who, who gets the secret code that they push and then yeah. it retirement. activates? The, and once you click the, it, you can't come back. So it's like you only get one time entering the code <laughs> and then you're never allowed to – you can't do a yeah. – What's the standard? Provi- unless you, you make it just be a, Do you have to the be a – The standard is – U.S. champion you have to be or a is legend. there like a committee? No. Okay, a legend. You'd have to have made – Maybe two, at least two teams, world or or Olympic. Uh, I don't know. What's the standard okay. of deserving? I mean, what? It, I well, mean, I'm just I'm thinking about someone like Chris Zielinski, right? Chris Zielinski never made an Olympic team. Now he yeah, made it, an, oh, but he made 09 and he made 11. I guess you could also say that American record people get. I think there should be a committee. I like committees. Yeah, they can I be committees. And they should just know. You just know. You just know that Chris Zielinski will – people are going to want to ha- celebrate his retirement, but they're not mm-hmm. going to want to celebrate – Careful. I don't know. Careful. Somebody <laughs> else's retirement. <laughs> yeah, or like just someone who 
who randomly got third in a 10k one time and got to go and get ends up well they can retire too worlds. and yeah. they can retire and they can announce their retirement in the mix zone too nobody is prevented from doing that yeah. you're just saying if you want to get the special accommodations of oh i haven't run in a year i want to go back and i want to say farewell to track and field yeah and they try yeah. to do it they, they try to do it with leo but like he wasn't in the race they did like they like hell he gets to hand out the medal for the 1500 meter champion and oh gonna, that's right i remember uh, this now yeah, yeah we're gonna applaud him on the loudspeaker but that's not the same like it's yeah. not like let leo just run in the first round he's not gonna I mean, what if he's he's not gonna just put him on the on the track and let him run? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm less concerned with I'm less concerned with you with the oh, how does this screw up the 25 year old? The 25 year old can figure it out. Is one extra person yeah. in the in the race? They'll they'll figure out how to do it. Do you remember Webb's last race? No. Well, wasn't he like entered in the 5K at the trials well, randomly the, one time? Well, yes. There was controversy on that. 20, 2014, remember? Oh, okay. He was entered in Milrose. Yes, and it yes, was, yeah. Can can he break four one last time? And ended up running four oh six, and that was it. But you knew that was his last race. There was fanfare around that. Now that year, twenty fourteen is tough because, and in the winter of twenty fourteen, you got to either wait all you have to keep training and get all the way to the summer and do it at USA's. But that's a low profile USA. So you want to wait till 2015 to do it? Do you want to wait till the Olympic trials? No, it's not. You're asking no, you, a lot there. USA's is USA's. You can do it in 2014. Or he should have just done it in 2013, right? You should have just like, I mean, what was, was yeah, it good in I 2013? Thought, well, that was, I, uh, I mean, he didn't make the, yeah, he didn't make a, a team in 2013. Did he run USA's? He didn't run USA's in 2013. He ran pre. That's good. Yeah, it could have been that year. I kind of like the Milrose send off, though, because there was symmetry there. To his career because yeah, of what, what what he did in high school, but not not everybody's not everybody's Alan Webb. But I think I think this is a good. We'll put this in the good idea pile yes. for Gordon. Ooh, it's not a pile. It's, it's just one. It's a person. It's <laughs> we got a pile to this too. So it's just a good it's idea. A, uh, uh, paperweight. It's it's a single piece of paper sitting next to a huge stack of papers of all your bad ideas. We'll leave it there. I just want to be on the we'll, committee that decides. That's what I want to be. Yeah. I want to be on the committee that decides. I think email us who you think should be on the committee. Yes, or or who who should who should get to punch the code next year? I think I think your standard is like you know you know, and if you have to debate it, then it's probably not. There's probably yeah. not anybody. Yeah. All right, we'll leave it there. Flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, or on our website flowtrack.org/slash/flowtrackpodcast. We have a guest tomorrow. Be sure to tune in for that one. Thank you to Gordon. Thank you to Alon for producing. Talk to you guys next time.